name. And everyone said, Amen. So we're in a series, in case you hadn't noticed, Leviticus. And as followers of Jesus, our greatest need is to be lovers of Him, to make sure that He is our first love. And we want to know how to love Him well, like the five love languages. We want to know what is God's love languages and how does He love us? How do we understand that? Leviticus is an amazing journey on how that occurs. How do we walk in the flourishing ways of God? And just a couple of themes we've looked at over these times, holy love. What is holy love? It is holiness. It is uncommonness that God foremost is uncommon, unique, powerful, and we must treat Him that way. He is other. He is different. And so we are to love Him that way because that is who He is. But He loves us straight away because we cannot come into the presence of a holy God. Atonement is the word. It's a gift from the outside, a death on, a, on our behalf that brings us into the presence of God. God knows that we cannot stand in the holy presence and His grace is the gift that brings us close because God's heart desire for each and every one of us is that we be close to Him. Amen. And so it's the gift from outside. He loves us knowing we cannot be. And he says to us, would you love me with your, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, complete surrender. The sacrifices were complete surrender. The vision, the image of us saying we will lay down on the altar. We will burn up all of who we are so that you be glorified. And so then we looked in the next phase of Leviticus. It moves into three phases. He repairs, he restores, he reforms. And so we're in the restoration phase of Leviticus, starting in uh, verse in chapter 8 of Leviticus. He chose, amen. He chooses his people before any qualification. He says, you're mine, sons of Aaron who made mistakes before. I choose you to do what I want through you because it was never about you. It's about my wonders and power, and so he chose. And then last week, we looked at cleansing, the purification, the weirdest part in Leviticus, all these weird purity laws, but they remind us that we are frail and broken. We are dying, and death cannot be around perfection, and he knows that, and so he brought about his son to be the perfection, the purification for us. We saw the leper Matthew turning up the volume on the leper, saying, this is my heart's desire to bring those who are unpure, far away from me, close. Let me hold them. Let me heal them. Let me make them holy. And so that's the beautiful gospel message that Leviticus is bringing. There is always a heart of a father who is wanting to draw his children near. And so we are in the center of the center. We are in the center of Leviticus, the day of atonement, the day of at-one-ment. This is the center of, of Leviticus, and Leviticus is the center of the Torah. And so this passage is the mountaintop for the first five books of the Bible. This is important. This is really worth slowing down and taking in what is God saying right here, because this is the heartbeat of the Old Testament. And so we're just going to look at this passage and highlight some of the areas here. Jan, can you switch over the screens at the back for me so I can actually read back there? Because I have good eyes, but that's really small. And so I have to keep slipping over here. Um, So Leviticus 16.6. So we've covered already some of the Day of Atonement before. You can go back and listen to that message. There are two 
goats that get brought on this day, Yom Kippur, this day of atonement. And so Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering. So remember, he's making himself right, atoning for himself and his house. And then he shall take the two goats on this one day of the year and set them before the Lord in the entrance of the tent. And Aaron shall cast lots over these two. He will actually throw dice to decide which one gets killed and his blood into the presence of God. We spoke about that last time. And which one will be for the carrying of all of the nation of the sins of Israel. And so they cast lots over these two goats, and one lot for the Lord, and the other for Azazel. We will get into that in a moment. And, the Aaron, and Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and use it as a sin offering. That's the purification offering. That's the one that goes into the Holy of Holies. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Some verses on. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He will lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone who is appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Because you don't want your sin coming back into your life. Just the basic principle. You want that thing removed, and that someone's going to take care of that. And so this one moment in the year, Yom Kippur, this goat that carries the debt of all of Israel. And this year would be filled with both a mixture of sorrow. There would be uh, a day of fasting. They would cover themselves in sackcloth. They would remind themselves of the death that is very present in their world. And remember, this is still on day eight. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had this amazing moment where all the sacrifices happened, the presence of God came, the glory cloud came, a fire shot out, burnt up the sacrifice, an altar light was happening, glory was shining, yay God. But humanity is fantastically good at failing. And so that very same day, the sons of Aaron take it upon themselves to do their own liturgy and God kills them. So on the day, same day, purification laws get put on. The same day, the act of atonement occurs. All of this is happening all very quickly. I love God's heart to restore people as soon as possible. He puts a plan in motion. Genesis 3, he gives a promise there will be restoration. God's heart is immediately to restore. And so with this day of sorrow, very much aware that death has occurred, There is also this hope and joy that imagine these thousands, hundreds of thousands of people would watch this goat stroll out with the man, knowing that the sin of all of the nation was going to be atoned for, that the presence of God would still dwell. It was both joy and sorrow in one space. You cannot transform sin. Sin can only be removed. There is no way that you can put padding on sin. There's no way that you can cover sin. Sin has to be removed as far as from the east as from the west. This is the only principle that can happen. 
But there's a telling story as well in Leviticus 17, which is right next to it. So all of this has happened, and God speaks instantly again. And I want to focus actually on this part today, because this is super interesting. On the same day, then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instruction to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel. This is what the Lord has commanded. If any native Israelite sacrifices a bull or a lamb or goat anywhere inside or outside of the camp, instead of bringing it into the entrance of the tabernacle. So this idea that there are people sacrificing away from God and not bringing it into the presence of God is an offering to the Lord that a person will be guilty as of murder. Such a person has shed blood and will be cut off from the community. Hold on to that. The people, the purpose, sorry, of this rule is to stop the Israelites from sacrificing animals in open fields away from Yahweh. It would ensure that they will bring their sacrifices to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle so they can present them to the Lord as a peace offering. Two thoughts just off these passages today. And we're looking at the teaching of Leviticus, pointing it to Jesus, and the application of what it means to our lives. So the question is, what is sin? What is sin? Is it just a moral failure that you've done something wrong based on the standards of society? Or is there something more? And I feel like this passage points to that because the sacrifice has to be done in the presence of God. It cannot be done by yourself, off in a field somewhere, possibly off to another appeasing God. It will not be Uh, accepted by God. It has to be in the presence of God. It has to be drawn near, which brings a wonderful definition of what sin is, because sin is any deviation from God's intended standard of shalom. Let's unpack that today. Any deviation from God's intended standard, that is the root of sin, that sin is against God and God alone, as we read in the psalm earlier today. Rebellion against his authority, twisting his design, defying boundaries, wrongdoing, and failure to do what is right by what he says. So not just the moral failure, but actually not doing what he calls is right. An attempt to meet my deepest needs on my own resource. That's what sin is. It's not the standards of the world. It is deviation from God's intended plan, God's intended wholeness. Shalom means peace, wholeness. Any deviation away from that, and we are in sin, and that should feel like a weight on you today. That should feel like, I'm a sinner. Yes, you are. Welcome to church. We are a community of sinners because we all deviate from God's intended standard of shalom. You may think you're a morally good person by the world standard not doing these things, but you're missing the whole other side of what you should be doing for God. And so that balance of both is so important because sin destroys the sinner and everything around it. It orientates our heart away from God. It creates distrust toward Him. It blinds us. It reshapes us. But we try to resolve it, and this is the condition of the world. We ourselves self-medicate against sin. Because we all know there's a power within us, this human condition, and we know that there is a fault, there is a brokenness to humanity. The world and all universally agrees we have a problem. But how we deal with these three-lettered words 
which when I mention the word sin, something inside of you just kind of recoils a little bit. Whether it was a teaching that you experienced or some shame that you experienced in your life, that word sin has such destruction on our souls that it causes us to shrivel, to recoil. And all of us want to alleviate ourselves of this weight of sin. Because the culture says, maximize your life. If you look at Instagram, social media, the five best life hacks to living, not only in your kitchen, but in your life. The life hacks are pretty cool of what you're doing. We're, we're randomly, this is just a random thing. Um, I didn't know you could regrow uh, iceberg, is it? What are we growing? Romaine. Like we're growing the seeds in the water and it's actually growing again. I'm like, very slowly, not a good idea, but it's working. It's like life hack. Yes, I'm going to grow my own now. But it's like the principle of how do I maximize my life? How do I maximize my life for everybody that I'm living to the fullest? The world says freedom to do whatever you want to do, but don't bring your brokenness out here. Maximize your life, but don't bring your crap out here. Live to the full and don't ignore the rest. Just keep maximizing and hopefully the maximization will alleviate the brokenness that is actually within you. And so the temptation for all of us is to find our own reconciliation, to hide the sin, either forgetting the sin that you've done, just keep pushing down the memory, keep suppressing it, escapism, try and medicate yourself by forgetting it, or building a theology that says it's not really a sin. You know, it's, uh, they're these sins, but this sin, not so much. And so we begin to shape a theology, a belief system that either we escape or we change our minds about what sin really is. We diminish its potency and we just exist in a dualistic world of saying that we love Jesus, yet medicating our sin on the side. And it quenches who we are. It quenches Jesus inside of us. We either try to do good works to be lovable. How many of us are guilty of just being lovable? Man, if I can just overdo the bad things that I do just being a really nice person, they're such a nice person. How could they ever? Because we know that all of us are in this constant existence of pain that we feel that sin is tormenting us. It's reshaping us. It's changing our minds the way we see this world. And it's a danger. It's a real danger. But there is grace today. There is grace. I want to tell this story here today. And it's from the Ragamuffin Gospel, written by Brennan Manning, a really famous work, very powerful, about a man who suffered through addiction. And he shares one of these stories back in 1975. There was this man called Max, and they were in the small town north of Minneapolis. One day, this man Max, he was a father of five children, well-to-do, smaller in stature and made with his voice up for all that smallness. Um, he sat in the hot seat of this AA meeting, this addiction meeting, and the facilitator began to rail him with questions. So what's your vice, Max? How much do you drink a day? Whoa, Max shunted back. I'm not like the rest of you. You know, I have a couple of drinks every so often. The wife also drinks as well. You know, a martini in the morning and maybe in the evening just to get me going. What's wrong with that? It's a good time. They began to probe him more and more and more. And Max began to even increase more defense. I'm not like you guys. I've got it under control. 
I'm good. And so one of the questions came and asked, have you hurt anyone because of your addiction? And Max suddenly remembered this, mer- this, this memory a year ago. It was a painful moment, but he cannot remember what on earth happened. All he remembers, he kept saying, it's a painful moment. I don't know what happened. It was painful. The facilitator said, give me the phone. Let's call the wife. They put the wife on speakerphone. And this is where I want to jump into the story because the wife tells this moment of the pain. And she said it was like yesterday. On the afternoon of December 24th, my husband drove downtown to give $60 to their daughter to take her out to buy shoes in the store. That is exactly what she did. She bought the best pair. Remember, $60 back in 1975, that's a pretty sweet set right there. And she climbed back into the pickup truck where the father was driving. She kissed him on the cheek and told him, you're the best daddy in the whole world. Max was preening himself like a peacock and decided to celebrate on the way home with the daughter in the car. He stopped at the cork and bottle, and that's a tavern a few miles from the house, and told Debbie, the daughter, he would be right It was clear that it was extremely cold. It was about 12 degrees above zero. And so Max left the motor running and locked both the doors from the outside so no one could get in. It was a little after three in the afternoon and silence. Yes, the facilitator did. Tears started to form through the phone. My husband, as she spoke these words through crying tears, met some of his army buddies in the tavern, swept up in the euphoria over the union, he lost track of time, purpose, and everything else. He came out of the cork and bottle at midnight. He was drunk. The motor had stopped running. Car windows were frozen shut, and Debbie was badly frostbitten. Both her ears and her fingers We got to the hospital and the doctors had had to operate. They amputated the thumb and the finger on her right hand and she will be deaf for the rest of her life. It was that moment that Max collapsed sobbing. Saw the truth about who he really was. He saw himself as he really was and he told himself so many lies over and over again to suppress the memory of this devastating action that had life implications that his sin was in front of him his entire life and he would be reminded of the pain and he suppressed it all. Until a need was omitted, healing was impossible. Until Max saw who he was, it was impossible for healing to come in front of him today. Our response is to hide. Our response is to choose fig trees and live in the freedom rather, sorry, to hide ourselves rather than living God's ideal freedom. It distorts who we are, but most importantly, it separates. Notice what Leviticus said in 17. It said that they are to cast them away from community. They are murderers. If they do not come to Yahweh, if they try to self-medicate, they will be excommunicated. That's a visual reality of our spiritual lives, that when we do not come to a loving God, we are separate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he who is alone without sin is utterly alone. He who is alone with sin is utterly alone. 
It tortures our bodies. David the psalmist says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. We cannot fix what needs to be taken away by only one. So the question is, what are we hiding from? Why do we feel so much shame in coming to God? Why is it throughout the Old Testament the same principle happens? The one who can take it away from us, the only one, why do we run so hard from the one who is the one? And so we point to Jesus today. Jesus is the one we confess to. In the Gospel of John, this amazing line gets spoken by John the Baptist, the one who makes the way in 129. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 8 is where we want to go today. So this is the confession which John starts his gospel. And so we want to jump into the story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8 today. It's a story that you know well. It is the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman, when we join this scene where she is thrown face down on the floor in the dirt. Earlier that day, she was living her life. She was in the hands of her lover, her mysterious lover, and she never intended to be an adulterous woman. She never grew up one day enjoying the idea of having two relationships as one. But maybe, and this is just my thoughts, she had an underlying issue of being needed, and it filled her heart. They lived a marriage, and it went on, but for some reason they had kids, and the father was not so present, the husband wasn't so present, and she had this deep yearning need to be filled, to be seen, to be loved. But rather than going to God over it, she decided to fill it with a person that showed a little more intention to her, that seemed to value her, said some nice words about her. And it began to sink in, and they had a couple of flings here and there, and it got more and more real. They felt the pain of the sin, but they wanted the love more and acceptance, and so she diminished the sin. She just justified it. It's what God really wanted in the first place. She said these things over and over again to nullify the action of the sin that was really occurring in her life. She thought there was nothing wrong, but now she is face on the floor with everyone seeing. And the questions running through her mind, how long did he know the husband? How long did this even go on? What does it feel like to die? These words were hit as, as the uh, Pharisees of the day pointed to Jesus. This woman is caught in adultery. She is the one who is to be stoned and die are you going to disobey Moses? There was this alternative moment in that space where the Pharisees want to corner Jesus. People versus the law and Jesus right in the middle. It's in that moment that Jesus kneels down and begins to write in the sand. Begins to write in the soil of the day. And he stays there. And it's probably a really uncomfortable amount of time as everyone just sees Jesus kneeling there. This woman, probably half naked, wrapped in a sheet where she was caught in front of all the people. And this prolonged silence that Jesus just sits there writing we do not know what. But it was in that moment then he stood and said these words, For you who have without sin cast the first stone. And we know the story well, that in that moment, the stones were dropped from the older first to the younger. And you can imagine the woman right there, eyes just closed, just God maybe repenting in that moment. God, if you are real, please come and save me. Those anguishes of, I know I've messed up. 
that in that moment, imagine the first thud as the, the stone hit the ground. She probably would have flinched. But then the continuation of the thud, the thud, the thud. And suddenly she might have looked out of the corner of her eye, what on earth is happening? And suddenly she sees these people walk away and she's left with Jesus and her. This beautiful, intimate moment. And Jesus stood up and said to them, where are they? As Jesus is so cleverly to know what on earth is really happening. And she said, where are they? And has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said these powerful words, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. This beautiful revelation that we see in Jesus. And I love this from Dane Ortberg in Gently and Lowly book. He said, if you are in Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. The story that we see that every time my face is pushed to the floor with the sin that I feel in my life, I hear the finger of Jesus drawing in the sand, kneeling close to me. And when I look into his face, I see eyes of love. Neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. We need to hear these words today because we need to be met with love in our confession. We are talking about confession here today. Confession as we meet a lamb who is full of compassion. We are met with eyes of compassion for those who have gone astray because he is the only one who can alleviate the problems that we face. This is what David and Peter both understood. As we read the passage of Psalm 51 and we read 1 Peter, both men understood sin in their lives. David pretty much wrote the book on how to sin. He had a pretty good tally going on. If bingo was the game, he had most of the squares covered in what you needed to do to be a winner. But yet that didn't define his life. He was known by as the man after God's own heart rather than a sinner, way worse than Saul. Saul, the previous king, looked really good in comparison to him. But there was a truth that David had over everyone he refused to hide. He wasn't just a man that would go do what God wanted to do. He was more than that. He refused to hide. And so the stories of his inadequacies, the stories of his sins were trumped by the story of God's grace. Peter was exactly the same, a man who denied Christ. And we all deny Christ in some way. He denied Christ. And when he came to see Jesus, again in the Gospel of John, in John 21, he runs to Jesus because he refuses to hide. This is the narrative of the confession that we must be people that refuse to hide, to not live into the lie of Genesis 3 that says I'm going to cover up and make it self-medicate my own way of dealing with my sin. No, I'm going to come running into the presence of God. Maybe you feel naked and ashamed, but no, there is a voice of compassion on the other side that says, this will not overcome my power of grace. We discover grace is more powerful than any sin. That is true today. So the practice of 
confession. Confession is the victory over lies, a victory to cry out, to let more light in. Because you and me, we are called children of light. We are called by the identity of God to be children of light. And that means that we should be immersed by the light of Yahweh. That is both uncomfortable and amazing because you were born to shine. But many of us live in that space of sin that says, you know what, I'm going to cover myself. And we put a basket over our heads. We say that God's grace is not enough for me and I'm just going to cover myself. And God says, no, take the basket off because you were born to shine. I want to illuminate you. I want to show the fracturings and the beautiful mosaic of cracks that you are to the world because it's our brokenness that most heals people, amen? Not the perfect, well-shined, gleaned, Instagram-looking face of filters that we put on. No, it's the brokenness that first and most helps heal people. And this is what we mean today when we talk about confession. Because when we act without confession, we say, God's grace is not enough for me. We say that their sin is too much for God to deal with. And so how do we apply the application to confession today? This phrase that just God gave me, and I think it's really helpful. To tell a truer story about ourselves, find a truer story about God's love, and fill your story with His wholeness. This is a three-part, just on quick word on each. To tell a truer story. Let's be honest in the room. We inflate ourselves. We look a little more impressive for an hour and a half or so um, in the way that we look and present ourselves to one another. We make sure that we are smiley, happy, and all the good stuff all the time because righteousness or false righteousness has told the lie that you've got to look good as a Christian. You've got to look like you're full of hope and ready to go, and that couldn't be further from the truth. See, like you, I'm on the confessor side as well. To dig up the garbage in my life. And there's so many stories I could tell about myself. I think about the teen circles, you who grew up in the church. You know, we had those teen nights. We would write down our grievous sins. Mostly it was all about the sexual desires that we had going on for the boys and the girls. We never knew what that was all about. We had our circles, so you go on where that is. But we would go there and we would just be like, God, we need you. And it was an amazing alleviation. Those were some of those beautiful nights that we would cry as guys together, knowing that we are unified in our brokenness, knowing that we weren't good enough, knowing that we didn't measure up. And suddenly this alleviation came in as we told a truer story about ourselves because you are not to be center of your universe. We have anxieties that say that you should be centered, that you must control and medicate all your well-presented faces. And in that, we form and we fall over and over again because we don't tell a truer story about ourselves. We tell a part story about who we are, the good side, and we fail to say the brokenness. I'm reminded even this week of my brokenness as I get frustrated, annoyed with my kids. Every night I reflect, so I do Lectio and I examine my day and it feels like a repetition to God. I tell the truer story that I'm so annoyed that I backbite, that I get angry, that I get jealous, that I have all this pride that fills up in my life because I feel like I'm something, I'm doing something, and then swiftly reminded that I am a broken piece. 
And in that, I tell a truer story and it alleviates the pressure for me to look good and feel good all the time. I'm on that journey and I'm not there yet. For some of you, I just felt two things. There are people in this room that have intimacy issues or, yeah, intimacy issues. But there was just this part of you that was like, it was just so highlighted to me just this week that there's these intimacy issues that we don't tell the truer story of ourselves, that we're lonely, that we feel inadequate, or, or all of that goodness. And it's being shown in other areas. And God's inviting you to say, would you tell a truer story of your brokenness today? Because we can all feel lonely and ashamed. And God says, would you bring that truer story to me today? Would you br- let me bring about something fresh today? And so, just because of time's sake, find a truer story about God's love. This is so radically important. The words, I don't condemn you, go sin no more, is what we need to hear when we come with our confession to God. That we need to hear the words, Jesus says, I don't condemn you anymore, go sin no more. We need to hear those words that we feel love, that Jesus lifts our heads and he shapes the way that we relate to him. He lifts our heads and says, look, come to me again. You're going to fall apart again. Come to me again. Let me lift your head again. It's never too much. It's never too much. Come again to me daily. Daily ask for forgiveness because that's what you're going to need. You're going to need daily mercy. You're going to need daily grace. You are going to need it because this world is broken and you are not fully complete yet. We need a truer story about whose God loves is for us. And I I think about, again, those nights where I'd give that confession, and suddenly I would be filled with the love of God. That suddenly I saw that God saw all of me and loved me. He didn't just love the good things I did. No, he loved me, even me in my brokenness, and called me up into something even more. I think just this final part, fill your story with his wholeness. I had this image, and I, and I kind of shared it with the prayer team. It's somewhat sad. I don't know how good it works. But I think about Mr. Potato Head. Right. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is the image that came to me when I thought about this. A lot of times we act like Mr. Potato Head when we come and we take the confession of sin and we say, God, Lord, I need to cut my arm off today because it is causing me to sin. <laughs> like the verse, like I just need to alleviate and let it go. I can't be anywhere close. And I think again about, let's take, for example, like sexual desires, because that's the most common one that we actually deal with and we don't talk enough about. Sexual desire, desire is a good thing, and sexual desire is a good thing in marriage between a man and a woman, amen? Like that, that's the principle. So it's a good thing, but what we do is we cut the arm off because we've either had past relationships, past brokenness, and we shut down the desire which was God-given in the first place. And so we walk around like Mr. Potato Head with one arm missing. Maybe there's something of a leg. Maybe you've lost your eyes or your ears because you so said, I need God to eliminate my sin and remove it rather than letting God fill your story with his wholeness. See, Jesus spoke to the woman and said, I don't condemn you. You are no longer a condemned daughter of Christ. You are now a child of God. Now go sin no more. Again, identity messages placed upon it. It's like Mr. Potato Head got some new arms and new legs because God gives good gifts and the enemy manipulates good things. He causes us to shut them down 
rather than giving them him and let him restore your brokenness. Don't shut down your brokenness. Let the brokenness be forth because it brings a story of wholeness that God wants to shine through. Too long in the church, we have shut down because of sin when God wants to restore and restore and bring a purpose about. Because I think when we struggle in an area, that's probably where our strength is also. Actually, God wants to tell a truer story today. And so just even as I land this today, See, we can have doubt about forgiveness, right? We can have doubt about all of this. Did God really, really forgive me? And there's a confession in the, the prayer of confessions, which I think is super helpful. If anyone cannot quiet their conscience, let them come to another minister of God's word and open their grief. When Jesus came and gave the Spirit of God in John 20, 23, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his first words after that were forgiveness. Now you can forgive one another, and you, if you withhold forgiveness, it will be withheld. Why is that so prevalent? Because God knows us. And actually there is a grace, as James will say in 5.16, confess to one another and you will be healed. God's desire that he bore our sins, that we may be healed, because he knows that he can bring restoration. A lot of times we talk about boring our sins so we can be physically healed. Actually the bearing of, of him being whipped and broken for us was for our sins. That's, that's a lot of times why when we ask for forgiveness of sins, healings, physical manifestations follow as well because they're so deeply connected that sin so wrecks our body. So what can we do? Today, just even as we come to a close here today, um, I just had some thoughts that we could lean into today. And just with the remaining time, just if we can put some ministry music on, we want to create a space again because God wants to do some deeper work, I believe, today. Um, we want to create a space to come forth to the altar here today. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. We want to just have some ministers up front. If you feel like during this message there was this burning desire in your heart, that you're like, man, I need to get this off my chest. I need to confess to someone today. I need to get this thing out. And that's the invitation. If you want to be free, if you want to feel whole, there is healing in this place today. There is healing that God wants to bring. And I know that's a crazy step for some people, but I believe that there's just this invitation to come forth this morning to say, God, I want to walk out in vulnerability today and say, God, I want to alleviate. I want to have removed this thing that I just cannot get off my chest. And I believe that God wants to fill you with love. I think he wants to restore your story and fill you with wholeness today, like the woman caught in adultery. Can you imagine the story that she would have gone from that place on, that she would have gone out telling of Jesus' goodness? Because she still would have had a stigma about her. Town knew all about her. She was made known. But somehow, Jesus' story, restoried, trumped all the other narratives. It didn't matter what other people thought because she was made whole. And maybe for you today, that's something that you want. So if we can dim the lights as well.
just to create a place and an atmosphere and just with every head bowed just in this space. And as I said, there are ministers that will be up the front if you want to make a confession to someone. But if you just want to come up the front today to say, God, I want to confess today. I want to confess that I'm broken. I want to confess that I need you. And I so believe that there is healing for that. So there's different invitations for you here today. I love this from Richard Foster. God is calling into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and know the forgiving, empower grace of Christ. Honesty leads to confession and confession leads to change. Because I tell you today, one of the most single greatest acts that you will experience God's love is when you confess that you're broken. When you come to confess and say, God, I want to meet you here today. I think some of the greatest experiences of knowing that the Father loves me is when I've come with my brokenness. I've seen eyes of love. I've seen restoration. So I just want to give some privacy. So just with every eye closed today, every head bowed, because I know we're going to impart looking around. Is anyone else going to go up? Because I want to go up. And I want you to just focus on you and the Holy Spirit today. I just want to read this reflection as we just invite Holy Spirit just into this moment. And it comes from Psalm 139. It's a psalm of David as he ends this beautiful passage of love. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me, O God, right now. Holy Spirit, Come search our hearts. Try me and know my thoughts. We invite you into our hearts and into our minds right now. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me to everlasting. Holy Spirit, we say, come Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for what you've already done this morning. That you've created a cry. There is a cry in this room for more. And God's message today is, you need me. You need me, and I want all of you. I want your brokenness. So I just invite you, just at your own will today, just any moment in the space, would you come forward today and say, God, I have need of you today. God, I want to experience your heart today. God, I want, and I'm on the front row already, by the way. I'm already there. Like, I'm just talking to you, and this is just easier, but I'm, I'm there because I need this today. I need to confess. And as Nelson said, just the word, the beautiful thing about the story of the Bible is that they are men and women just like you and me. They did amazing things. But it's the story of don't hide anymore. Don't hide anymore. Come experience something brand new today. And I don't want you to experience a downward self-condemnation because we can live in that space, right? We can just beat ourselves up and then we self-medicate because we see no hope. Jesus is saying there is a real hope. There is a real availability. And we want to be a community that Richard Foster talks about that openly confesses frail humanity yet knows a forgiving, empowering grace of Christ. So maybe today this is a step too far for you. You're like, I really want to, but this is just too far. There is no condemnation today. This is just an open invitation. But we do want to be a church that lets vulnerability reign in this place. 
We do want a place where we can come openly with our sins because we need a grace that is far beyond anything we could ever dream or imagine so that we can be people that love people outside of these four walls. Because you're always going to be a bitter, twisted person, if I'm honest, if we don't understand how much we are forgiven. There are some of you today that we're, we're all sinners. In fact, we should all be across this front row today just to let you know. There's not one of you that shouldn't actually be here. You've all missed the mark in some way already this morning. You've already done something that's been to miss the mark of God's holiness. But my invitation of the church is to say, God, can we create a place that says, God, we have need. God, I want so desperately. And this is the desperation. God is desperately wanting to love all of you. He is so desperately wanting for you to experience His grace. So let's just take some moments in silence. If you want to come up the front, if you want to receive prayer today, come Holy Spirit.